You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What is up, everybody? It's the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you at a little bit different day and time, but it's for very good reason. I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined on my my far right, I guess far left for some of you watching, by my co-host, John Karen. John, what's up, buddy? I'm, going, I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? Doing well. We got a very special guest helping us kick off. We're, we're in draft month now, right? So helping us kick off the NFL draft. One of the greatest offensive linemen of his generation, played a couple years with the Cincinnati Bengals, played a bunch with the Miami Dolphins, a star-studded, illustrious career, and we are very happy to have offensive lineman Richmond Webb joining the program. Richmond, how are you? Anthony, John, how you guys doing? Uh, glad to be here. I'm doing good. Good. Thank you for well, having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are, uh, we are very excited to have you. We we. There's a debate about amongst Bengals fans right now with the number five overall pick. So I think I know what team you might be on. There's Team Sewell and Team Chase, meaning Panay Sewell and Jamar Chase. So I guess we can kind of start with with that. How much have you watched Panay Sewell? And is that a guy you think that the Bengals, based on what the status of their offensive line, what happened with Joe Burrow last year, in your opinion, is that is that where the Bengals should go with their number five pick? You know, it, it's, it's, it's a tough debate. I, I saw tape on Panay uh basically the top lineman in the draft is coming out and definitely could be a benefit for a guy like Joe Burrow, especially after, you know, I saw he was having a great rookie year and then had the injury with the knee. So uh, when you draft a guy number one overall, the main thing you want to do is protect him and surround him with a good offensive line. And if you do that, you know, he's got the skill set and the talent to get the ball down to to the receivers and stuff like that. So me, I would be a little bit more uh, biased toward taking a guy like um, Panay Suel. But, you know, like you brought up Chase and he's also a former teammate of Joe Burrow. So I'm, I'm sure, you know, <laughs> Joe scored a lot of touchdowns uh, <laughs> with Chase and, and actually he beat up on my Aggies my last year. I ain't forgot about that either. <laughs> but, uh, um, me personally, I, I believe everything starts up front and I, I would probably sway more toward Panacewell, but, um, man, not even Chase, but it seems like, I, and I, I could be wrong. I think it's going to be two or three quarterbacks come off the board early on. And then I, it's a slew of receivers, you know, you got Chase, Smith and Waddle from Alabama, and you got Kyle Pitts that I think is just. Man, when I saw his pro day and the numbers and stuff, he, he's just a matchup nightmare. And it, 
as a G as a GM, the good thing is you can almost pick either one of these guys and not be wrong with. And I guess that's a good thing because that gives you job security. <laughs> no, but I, I would like you, the question. Let me ask you a question. But Nate will probably be my pick. And, you know, if y'all don't pick him, I'd love to see him at the Dolphins as well. <laughs> I mean, we have yet to we have yet to hear an offensive lineman have a different take. So that would, that's pretty part for the course. <laughs> it's going to be a surprise when we hear a former offensive lineman advocate for the receiver. But I mean, so let's let's just compare like you and, and Sewell, I guess, because Sewell is, is still twenty years old. He's not going to turn twenty one until October. You were a twenty three year old rookie coming out of Texas A and M for the Miami Dolphins, and I feel like you're very uniquely qualified to answer this question because not everyone's a former offensive lineman. Not every former offensive lineman was a Pro Bowler. In their first year, speaking with specifically with the Bengals, who are expecting to start at least one rookie offensive lineman, what was something that the Dolphins, like your teammates, your coaches, what what did they do to help you transition from the college game into the professional game so quickly that allowed you to play at that high level coming out? Yeah, you know, you know, the game has changed so much. Since I was in college, you know, coming at, when I was at Texas A&M, we were we really didn't pass the ball a lot, and we ran the option, you know, majority of the time. So we were heavy on the run, this and that. So I had to transition from being, you know, basically a, a run blocking guy to somebody that was going to throw the ball almost 60 times a game with Dan Marino. So um, the things that I, I think really contributed to me is I had a great line coach, John Sandusky. And I think this is very important. I tell people this all the time. And I understand the numbers deal that but if you can get your, your draft picks in camp and get them in there early, rather than have a guy hold out all the training camp, you know, you miss all the installation, you miss all the reps. The quicker you can pick up the offensive scheme or defensive scheme, whichever one it is, you go from just being able to react, react rather than thinking, uh, okay, what do I do on this play? When you can just start reacting, everything starts to accelerate quicker. And um, for me, you know, me and Key Sims came in together and, we just naturally just gelled and we had great communication. And that's one thing you have to have on the offensive line. Talking with Richmond Webb, one of the best offensive linemen of his generation, 11 years with the Miami Dolphins, a couple years with the Cincinnati Bengals, seven time pro bowler, two team first, two time first team, all pro two time second team, all pro and a member of the 1990s, all decade team in the NFL stoked to have him join us. Let's let's transition a little bit to some some Bengals, I guess, Bengals-ish news. The Bengals finally gave in to a lot of fans' wishes and uh, are kind of modernizing some things, and they announced literally today that they are going to unveil a ring of honor for some of the best players in in their uh, in their storied history. You are a member, if I if I read correctly, a, a member of the Dolphins Ring of Honor. I guess just from a player standpoint, what does that mean to you when the team kind of puts puts this honor out there for one of its great players and, and publicly recognizes it one of its great players? And what does that mean to you and endearing you to the fans? I, I guess I'm asking that because we just haven't had that and we've been wanting it as fans of the Bengals. And, and when we got this news today, I think everybody's pretty jazzed about it. Yeah, I, I think it's great. You know, um, one of the guys that I looked up uh, was Anthony Munoz, and you know he's the prototype. He's a pro. He's the guy that you know everybody kind of patting themselves after this and that. And uh, I can remember when I signed with uh, Cincinnati, and they was like, 
you know, we had the same number, but it, it was an unwritten rule that they just don't give that number out. And I said, hey, man, mm. I got too much respect for Anthony. I, I'll pick another. You don't have to worry about me kicking a, kicking up or starting to fuss about a number. I, I just respected him that much. And, and I understood when you play that long at an organization and play at that high of a level and make the impact that he did. And like you said, you know, Boomer Sison, you had Icky Woods, you had Fulcher, um, guys like that back in the, in the eighties when they were really rolling. So, um, uh, Ken Anderson, matter of fact, he was on the staff, um, um, when I was up there. So, um, uh, crumb ride, you know, guys like that, he was on the staff as well, but it's just like, those type of guys deserve recognition because they paved the way for the organization. And a lot of times, like some people that, that are just now becoming Bingo fans, they don't know about some of the older players. And the good thing about the Ring of Honor, if your name is up there, it lets you know you're one of the best. But also with Google and stuff, you can just Google that person's name and you can find out a lot of a lot more information. So it gives the fans to, to become more in tune with not only the present guys, but the past guys. So it's long overdue. I'm, I'm glad. And, you know, I played with some guys, you know, Big Willie, Anderson, Tequil Spikes, guys that would, you know, Corey Dillon, you know, some had some great talent up there. So some guys is definitely deserving to uh, be up there. I don't know if they'll be in the first four, but I definitely think those guys would definitely be put in the ring of honor. Well, let's talk about one of those guys that you just mentioned who could be in that first four, Willie Anderson himself. You played two seasons with Willie Anderson as that right tackle. Is, is he the best offensive lineman that you've ever played with? And what was that like, just like just preparing for games with him in the huddle, in the locker room? Like, what, what was playing with him on the opposite side of the line like? You know, anytime you play with a guy of that caliber, you know, with, I was really rude for, for Willie. He made it, um, I think, to the semis, almost to the finals. Um, but, um, you know, the thing that's tough for Willie, and that's why I have so much tremendous respect for him, is playing, you know, for the Bengals. And at the time he played, he was one of the best tackles in the league. But a lot of times you don't get the recognition that you truly deserve uh, when your team doesn't have success as a team. That means you're not a great player, but a lot of times they don't focus on that. And it's even harder being an offensive lineman that, you know, you're really good. You know, people might recognize it, but if your team is not doing good, you don't get a chance to play on a lot of primetime games where people you can showcase and say, oh, that guy is pretty good. Guys in the league know, but a lot of time media and stuff don't pay as much attention. So uh, he's definitely uh, deserving. Um, just loved his work ethic. You know, he was probably about six, seven years younger than me. But, you know, you watch guys like that. And then it's different when you watch them on tape and then you actually go to practice with them, see their work ethic. And you see, the, you know, he had tremendous knowledge, high IQ of the game and uh, – that's why he was one of the best. He is one of the best that I played with. Yeah, Richmond, you you played with the Cincinnati Bengals. Unfortunately, you played with some great players. You mentioned their names. Uh, unfortunately, you played in a time period wherein the Bengals weren't that great of a football team. And right after you left, in came a new head coach, Marvin Lewis, and things kind of slowly began to change. And then, kind of a few years in, we we started to see some uh, some positive effects. I, I guess, I don't know how connected you were still to the franchise after you had left and or how familiar you were with Marvin Lewis, but from a player's perspective, both from when you were there in a pre-Marvin era 
and maybe he had some contact with players who stayed there after Marvin Lewis got there. I guess I'm kind of curious to see just how big of the changes, you know, we, we perceive changes on the outside when we saw Marvin Lewis, we've heard some things. I don't know if you've heard some other things specifically from players on the inside after Marvin got there and said, wow, this is way different since he came in here and changed things. Yeah, I, I didn't hear a lot. You know, I was there with, you know, Dick LeBeau, which I have tremendous um, respect for, um, you know, treated me with first class ultimate respect. And he was a, a player's coach. I, I think um, when I got there, we had a lot of young guys that were, I mean, just really talented, this and that. And I think what Marvin was able to do was come in and kind of corral them and, and get them going in a direction. But, you know, I know about Marvin Lewis. I knew he had uh, was defensive coordinator, this and that, and, you know, had tremendous success. And then you can see things start to turn around and Bengals start making the playoffs and stuff like that. So I was happy to see that because, um, you know, I played in Miami. And, you know, a lot of times if we were winning the games, whatever, a lot of times people would just kind of leave because there's so much to do in Miami Beach or whatever. <laughs> game one, this and that. But, you know, I was really um, kind of in awe because even when I got there, the Bengals hadn't won in a long time, but just the support and the way the fans kind of, you know, really supported the team, whether they won or lost, you know, it was welcome to the jungle every week. It didn't matter who we played. They had the expectation that the team was going to go out and win. And I could appreciate that because I know it's harder to support a team when they're not having that type of – it's easy to support a team when everybody's winning, but when you're not winning, to still show that type of support and love and stuff like that, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Bengals fans. Yeah, so so we talked before the show that you're still familiar with the surrounding area of Cincinnati. Just as a guy who was born and played high school football in Dallas, played most of his NFL career in Miami, to then play two seasons and live in Cincinnati, what was that transition like? And do you have any, like, fond memories of just, like, living and being around in Cincinnati after all these years? Yeah, um, um, the the good thing was um, I could say probably I got a taste of, like, October, whatever. It was was perfect football weather, 65 degrees, and then by middle of November you had – to December, January, you, you might have a little rough spot. You know, it was really getting cold, this and that. You know, had to adjust to that. But, um, I mean, people were friendly there. Um, like I told you, I lived in the Mason area. And um, uh, it was a, a used to, it was probably not now, it was 20 years ago. It used to be a Copeland's right down the street. It was that. And I used to eat at J. Alexander's. And then they had a, um, uh, it was a Grater's ice cream. Yes. <laughs> Oh my goodness! <laughs> United Dairy Farmers. I mean, they had. Man, I'm telling you, they had some good stuff up there. And uh, I think when I got up there, Buffalo Wild Wings may have just been kicking off. And then, is it Montgomery Inn? Montgomery. This guy knows his stuff. He knows the stuff. Yeah, he knows wow. his stuff. So, like I tell you, the players they took care of me. They put me on the spots where I needed to be. This and that. And um, uh, but. Man, I, I, I loved it. I loved it because it was just good, genuine, friendly people. Um, I had a great time in Cincinnati. Other than not achieving the success that, you know, everybody wants to achieve. Other than that, it was it was a great city. Yeah. Talking with Richmond Webb, seven-time Pro Bowler, former Miami Dolphin, former Cincinnati Bengal, a great, great 
NFL career. Happy to have him joining us, and hopefully he can stick around for a few more minutes. We're, we're loving talking to you, man, so uh, we, we appreciate the time. Uh, you know, you're, you talked about it a little bit, your transition to the NFL where you were in more of an option-heavy, run-heavy offense, and you had to really – uh, transition into a, a really solid pass protector given Dan Marino was on the team. You're wearing a Texas A&M shirt, repping, repping your school, and, and I love it. But the Bengals got burned a few years ago by one of their first-round picks in Cedric Abwehi. And I don't know how much you, you, you knew about him and or watched him. Seemed to be a talented kid and never materialized. I'm just wondering if you had maybe a little bit of insight as to what what happened there? Was it a similar type of transition? Just didn't make that leap that was necessary because that was a player that the the Bengals were really relying on after letting Andrew Whitworth go in free agency. They thought he was going to be a tackle of the future for him. Yeah, I I, I know of him, but I don't know him personally, so I can't. Um, uh, I didn't have an opportunity to to meet him and interact a bit. Um, you know, that, that, that's the thing, and I, I tell people. Uh, and, and the Dolphins have went through that and it's kind of starting to transition. But the guys that you select in the first round and stuff like that, you can't afford to not hit on those guys. And those guys don't it, – it, it really sets you back. And if you have two or three years where you have guys that – I'm going to just say underachieve. I'm not going to call them a bust because some people – right. But when they don't underachieve, when they underachieve or don't reach the potential that you expect, it sets – the, the whole team back and um, you know, the Dolphins that went through that and, you know, we, we've been doing better the last couple of years and hopefully we have another good draft this year, but that's the integral part. And, and I think that's what a lot of people understand is when, when those guys, you know, the expectation is your first round pick, normally you're supposed to come in and pretty much be a starter or whatever this, even if it's not, at the beginning, sometimes the quarterback position, is, it takes a little bit more time. But most guys, um, that's your expectation. A lot of times what hinders that, and like I spoke on earlier, is guys getting into a contract dispute and holding out to regular season. A lot of times that rookie season is just wasted because you never really catch up. That um, That's the thing. And I, so I was talking about the GM, you know, with the talent you got, you got a high pick like that, especially if you're picking top five and, and you miss a guy like that. That's not a, that's not a good thing to, to waste a top five pick on, you know, somebody like that. But um, that's the thing that I think really got to focus on is doing your due diligence and not just how a guy performs in college bit. You know, you got to know a little bit about what makes him tick, this and that. What motivates him? What doesn't motivate him is if he's just not motivated by money. You know, it, it could be a um, it could be a bad thing. It's kind of like matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you guys saw it, but we had traded for a guy Wilson, uh, Isaiah Wilson from mm-hmm. Tennessee, came to Miami within a couple of weeks. You know. The maturity level, he has the talent, the skill set, but the maturity level is there. And I'm hoping he gets it together and he might get another shot. He might not, but get it together because he has the skill set. But mentally, if you don't have it upstairs, it's not going to matter to you. And I, I think that's the thing that it's just not what you see on tape. You got to really know what know what makes a guy tick, I think, to, to be more successful or limit. Uh, minimize your risk as far as when you're taking guys that high in the draft. 
Cedric Abue unfortunately did not live up to expectations, but the guy we're talking to, Richmond Webb, he absolutely did. Seven Pro Bowls, two All-Pros in his first seven seasons. Richmond, are you aware of the website notinhalloffame.com? I have heard of that. I think I think I did an article with them guys one time or something. It was a little while back, but but uh, they do a good job of mentioning guys. And I think my name has 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 come up. Yes, it has. Uh, you are number sixty on their website, and I, I was just wondering because because when we when we cover the Bengals, we talk a lot about guys who should be in the Hall of Fame because they only have Anthony Munoz in there. But the Dolphins objectively have a more historic like history. You know, they have the perfect season. They have Dan Marino. You blocked for Dan Marino. You have all those accolades to your career. How do you kind of like, not necessarily approach it, but how do you think about it? And what, what do you say when people like bring that up? Because we get a lot from, you know, you know, Bengals fans and their former players, but how does, how does a player from another team who had more success and had more notoriety kind of manage that whole thing? Yeah. You, you know, the thing that I deal with, I, I just, you know, it's something that you can't really control. So, you know, I just say I let my resume speak for itself. And then I look at I'm not the only one that's waiting, that that's deserving of being in there. You know what I'm saying? And, and one time, I guess what kind of keeps me humble is I saw a list of guys that hadn't been in that I really felt really should be in there. And I was like, OK, if these guys still waiting, you know, it's no need. Of, I'm not going to kick a fuss. I'm not going to, you know, tweet and it. I'm going to let other people make the case for me. So it, it's always good when people like not in the Hall of Fame or whatever brings attention to that. Even if they don't have a vote, they help keep your name out there. And, and I appreciate that. And I still believe I got a shot. You know, Zach Thomas is another guy that, you know, he's been coming up. The good thing is your name keeps coming up. So as long as you stay in the rotation, you, you got a shot at it. But it it's a very tough process. And I, I think sometimes for linemen, it's even tougher because – we don't sometimes have the stats that, you know, a receiver, you know, goes for ten or 15,000 yards or defensive back, you know, quarterback, you know, throws for 60,000. It's, it's like a no-brainer for them, but I think most of the time, I don't know if a lot of the writers or the voters actually look at offensive line and really watch, you know, I think sometimes you have to have somebody state their case to say, no, this guy is definitely deserving. So that's I think that's a tough part about offensive linemen a lot of times that – I, I still think I got a shot, so I'm going to just, just keep hoping and letting people, you know, keep my name out there. That's just the way I approach it. Well, when when you and I connected on Twitter, I was like, hey, you know, I just randomly like Hall of Famer because I, I remember your career. I remember your accolades, and I'm like, oh, wow, Hall of Famer connected with me. This is awesome. And I did my research, and I'm like, this is absolutely criminal that a player like this is not is not in the Hall of Fame. We're not trying to open up wounds, but unfortunately we have this conversation, like you said, with a number of, of talented Bengals players. You mentioned one in Willie Anderson, who we think is is worthy of the Hall of Fame, and, and many others that uh, have either been on this program or not. So, uh, again, not trying to open up a, a bad wound or anything for you, but it's something that I, I think just needs to change because you're, you are a player, and I, I remember it, you are a player that is very much deserving to be in Canton, for yeah. sure. And even, you know, I remember, you know, I tell people Corey Dillon was the best running back I played with. I mean, I was I was in awe to see a guy that big, the way he could, you know, cut and maneuver. And then he would punish. It was like sometimes he'd run by and sometimes he would punish a bit. Um, um, you know, that guy there, there and then he eventually went to, you know, New England and this and that. But just, you know, just another guy. But, um, you know, the thing is. Like you, a lot of people 
sometime hear my name and some people actually think I'm in there and then somebody said, no, he's not in there. And they'd be like, what? I can't believe he's in there. So, um, yeah, you're right. So I, I, I get both sides of it, but yeah, I, I'm going to keep a good attitude about it. This and that. And, uh, I'm always happy for whoever gets in there because I know it's not an easy process and it's definitely deserving. So yeah, we'll, ju- we'll just see what happens. Yeah. Well, well, I'm confident you'll get in there. You're, you're very much deserving. And I'm not just saying that to blow smoke. Seriously. I, you are very much deserving. I'm confident you'll get in there and hopefully that's soon to that point though. I want to ask, I mean, ask us uh, kind of the, the typical offensive line. You've probably been asked this a ton of times in your career. Who's the toughest guy you ever blocked? Me, uh, Bruce Smith. Uh, I, I thought you were going there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just that guy, you know, two, sometimes three times a year. And, um, you know, he played the run just as tough as he did the pass. And the good thing is, since he was a tough, he actually helped me raise my level of play because I had to play against him so much. So, you know, a lot of people say, yeah, that's the toughest guy, but you want to play against the best. And if you can, if you can maneuver with the best, you know, that's the thing. That's the measuring stick. So uh, I'm just glad I had Bruce over there and Reggie White was on the other side. I didn't need to play both of them. So I was just one of them. One of them was enough for me. <laughs> I can say that. But yeah, Bruce Smith was the toughest guy I had to play against. It's a good answer because that's, I believe, the only um, player in the top 15 sack list that ever got a sack against Willie Anderson. So, I mean. He's Bruce Smith, so it makes sense. Yeah, he's he's he's, he's a handful. I tell you that. I tell anybody that he's a handful. Yeah. Have you been watching any of the uh, other prospects aside from Pinesio? Have you been watching any of them on on film and or you know maybe some of the ones that may go top of round two because the Bengals may go Jamar Chase at number five and then they may opt to go offensive line in rounds two, three, you know maybe even day three. So I don't know how how much you've been how close of attention you've been paying to some of these other guys that may not go on night one, but I'd be interested to, and I know our listeners would be interested to hear your take on some that may fall into night two, night three, that could be good fits. And especially for the Bengals. Yeah. Uh, speaking of offensive line, uh, I watch a lot of SEC and um, uh, I remember the center from Alabama and I think, is it Leatherwood, the, the, the mm-hmm. tackle? He was pretty good, and um, I want to say I watched – it was either Ohio State or Wisconsin. I always have seemed like the offensive line will come out of their program. They do a good job of developing guys. But um, uh, Oh, and I think it was a kid at Georgia I was watching too that was pretty good. I can't remember what his name But I watch – I don't also get all the names, but I watch them. Okay, they got a, they got a good offensive line or whatever. Um, but – Leatherwood and, and the center from Alabama, I watched them several times, and, and they're pretty good. I think um, um, I don't. I think they probably should be definitely first, second round. I'm say easily second round. I just I think with the way to, if what happens, what I think is going to happen, it could throw some guys that should be first rounders into second rounders if everybody grabs quarterback early. So I think it's going to kind of be. Kind of like the year Baker Mayfield went one to the Browns, and you know they had like four quarterbacks in the top ten, and it just it kind of throws off the array of things. So um, some guys could actually slip down, and that's a good thing for teams that you might be able to pick up a guy in a second that was truly a first round pick. So it's 
it's all in, in maneuvering or, or if you got a pick and you think you can trade down and still get the guy and pick up another pick or so, it's all in just, you know, knowing how to maneuver that and this and that. But, um, uh, yeah, that, it was those those guys, I would probably say the few that I kind of watched that stick out to me. And I guess on that note, like, like I mean, I'm assuming you follow the Dolphins a little bit more than the Bengals with their whole trade back into the top ten. Do you, do you believe that that – is for a pass catcher. I know you. I know you said like you would like them to take Sewell, but do you think that's where they're going with that pick? I, I think they're going to go with a. Uh, I don't think it's going. I don't think it's going to be Panay. I think it will probably be. Um, they've said Chase, but then people say you know it's like everybody's kind of fighting over the same guy. So if the Bengals take Chase, I think we'll probably take Smith or or Pitts. You know, it's it's like I say, the talent is so rich at that position. That, like, say, even if y'all took, say, Pitts, and people are like, oh, we want to chase, but really, Pitts is a, is a monster as well. So it's like I think people sometimes get their mind set on 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 what on the mock drafts and what they project, and if it's not the player they think it is, it doesn't mean that you don't have a monster that you just drafted, and then once guys start playing, it be like, oh yeah, that's our guy, this and that. So. Um, uh, I, I think they. I think it's going to be a receiver to answer your question for the Dolphins as well. I don't think it's going to be uh, Panay. Yeah, I think there's a kind of going to be a domino effect. What what one team takes in the top three, four, you know, I think, and then what all those quarterbacks where all those go. Obviously, I think that's going to dictate what what other teams do. Before we we get John out of here and and maybe ask you another question or two, um, we we've asked a number. Uh, well, let me, let me start here. We talked about a number of different offensive linemen. You know, Leatherwood and is is Sewell. I don't think we specifically asked this. Is Sewell your top offensive lineman in this year's class? Yes, he's yeah. a, he's a top dog. Just based yeah. uh, what I've seen, and that's pretty much I think the way everybody has him rated. And you look at a guy; he, he seems polished as if he's twenty one. Well, I'll say probably twenty two years old. So for him to be that young and be playing at the level. He's got none but upside. So, yeah, uh, he, he's he's my top guy. Yeah, it's it's the consensus, but there are some others that believe that Rashawn Slater is more upside and some, uh, you know, uh, is more ready to play right now. But uh, definitely wanted to get your take, given your pedigree and background. I want to ask you this, uh, particularly we asked this question, and thankfully one of our live listeners, I'm going to throw it up here in just a second. We asked this question of a lot of different former Bengals players that come on our show. Um, this one right here, any funny locker room stories, if you've got one that you want to share, uh, if, if they're, if they're PG 13 plus, that's okay too. But, uh, you know, anyone specifically, maybe with the Bengals, um, you know, I, I know we love to hear those. We've had some good ones from Ken Anderson and the like in the past, but if you've got one, we'd love to hear it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think, you can't caught me off guard with that one. Uh, <laughs> trying to think funny stories. Um, uh. Funny. I'm sure some nothing's like just coming to the top of my head right now. Um, played with some funny guys, um, um, uh, but no, nah, I don't. I don't have. <laughs> I don't who's, have who's, who was one of the funniest Bengals players you played with? Because I mean, you were there. I think in the early Chad days, right? Chad was Chad Johnson was there with you in the early days. You mentioned you mentioned Dylan. Um, I mean Willie, TJ. Yeah, yeah. Darnay Scott. Um, I mean, we had we had a wide receiver group. Um, <laughs> I mean, they were talented. Um, 
and then uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, uh, Probably Peter Warwick and Ron Dugans were with you too, right? Oh yeah, Dugans, Dugans, Dugans. Yeah, all of them. You know, some of them Florida boys. So the good thing I made a connection with, even though they played at Florida State, they still kind of knew who I was. You know, since I played, you know, um, um, with the Dolphins. So uh, I mean, it was just a good group of guys. But uh, uh, I think the thing that that did catch me off guard was that. The Bengals, to me, had just as much talent or more. It was just, I, and, and I and I talked to a guy. I think it was um, um, it was Mike Golf. He played guard. And we was mm-hmm. talking, and uh, it was me and uh, Lorenzo Neal, and we would go meet somewhere after the games. And, you know, you know, we would talk about it and this and that, and it would seem like we would be winning a game and something bad would happen. And then it was like just a domino effect thing. Yeah. And that was hard for me and Lorenzo because we came from Dolphins. He came from Tennessee, you know, winning programs. And we were talking stuff. And and we were talking golf. And we never looked at it from his point. He's like, every time something like that happens, it always ends up that way. So it was, I think it was maybe a mental block. You know, he just had been that way so long. Not that the mm. effort had changed, but it just seemed like once something went wrong, it just it just never turned back around that way. And that was just something that I think that bringing guys in like us helped. But then when you bring in a coach like like Marvin that had success, you know, with Baltimore, somebody that's right in the same division uh, that you're in and then say, hey, no, we can do – so he starts sewing that and getting guys to rethink and then bringing in guys to, to redo it and redo the culture. And I think that was a huge part of getting things turned around. I was just thinking about that. But, you know, at the time you don't look, because I, I think the thing that's puzzled me, I was like, man, you know, you kind of go by position and you see these guys and you see where I was like, man, they loaded here, they loaded here, they loaded here. What's the deal? You know, you're trying to figure it out. Cause I'm like, man, we should be winning games. And, and yeah. I, I think one of the things, so. Um, I, I had to respect that bit. You learn that from communicating and talking to, you know, guys that's there, that's been there. And um, uh, when you have to fight through that, you know, week in, week out, that, that that's tough. And I, that can mentally wear on you. So, yeah, I had a lot of respect for those guys. I mean, it's yeah, wearing on me right now just hearing about it. So <laughs> I, can, I can understand the lack of funny stories. Yeah, a lot of people don't think of it. <laughs> And, and, you know, I, and I shared this, you know, with, uh, you know, the Dolphins went through a complete rebuild and it's different when you kind of get rid of everybody and really the coach is saying, we're going to go out here and compete. But really in your mind, you're saying, man, we really don't have a chance to win against this team. You know what I'm saying? But as the season went along, I think they ended up winning five games, but to, Mentally, just go out the weekend, week out, that knowing that you don't have a chance, or you, you get down, you might be down twenty to nothing. You be like, "Oh, here we go again." That's the thing that if you can fight through that, and, and it makes it better. But it had been probably I got up there. It's probably ten years of the Bengals hadn't had success like you know like they did in the late eighties, early nineties. So I think that was tough. Yeah. Well, one of the well, best ways way to do this is. With a uh, with a star quarterback, and you played with one of the best to ever do it, 
and Dan Marino. And I guess we can kind of end on this before we get you on out of here. And thank you for your time again, Richmond. But, uh, you know, you played with Dan Marino. Dan Marino, by most accounts, was a, was an alpha dog, right? I mean, he, he kind of led that team. I know you were a leader on that team as well. I guess I'm just curious. I know you've kind of kept the Bengals. Maybe, you know, you're, you, you kept your eye on them a little bit. But, uh, you know, Joe Burrow is now with the Bengals. And that's kind of one of his biggest qualities is that leadership. You watched him in in, in the SEC, uh, Burrow, that is. I guess I'm just curious. Do you see any kind of parallels? I know the arm strength and all that kind of stuff. We can debate that all day long. But I, I guess we're just kind of looking to to end on some good news here with, in terms of Joe Burrow and, and where the Bengals may be headed under number nine's watch. I mean, I, I think you got your guy. And I, I think that's the thing with starting a franchise. If you get your quarterback, I, I think he is the guy. The good thing about Joe is – Joe is from Ohio. So not only do you, you know, you get the support from people that, you know, because he was at Ohio State, then transferred to LSU, but had a great career at LSU. Then you come back up there. And so he probably grew up a Bengals fan. So once you get that piece, you say, okay, I got my quarterback piece. Let's surround this guy with what he needs for him to be successful. Because, you know, if you if you put the put the weapons around him, and give him the protection. You got a, you got a chance to win, and and that's the biggest thing. I, I think quarterback is one of the more crucial pieces you got to get. But then once you get that piece, you got to surround him and protect him, and then add playmakers around him, and let him do. And then and then that's when it really takes off. Well, talking with Richmond Webb, seven-time Pro Bowler, two-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, Hall of Fame player in our book and he'll he'll be in Canton sometime soon. I'm sure of it. Richmond, I know you have a show that you are doing as well. We would love to promote that. What, what is the the program? I think you're focusing primarily on the Miami dolphins in that program. Am I correct? <laughs> it is. It's called the uh, fence side, the NFL. And okay. Moved over to uh, dolphins talk. So um, basically the same thing, talking football, to the fan base, and uh, I hosted with a guy. Uh, uh, the real reason is his Twitter handle and a uh, uh, ball game, but it's like at KCTR is his uh, Twitter handle. But we're on Twitter, and I think the show is going to be airing on like Friday mornings or whatever. But we've done several episodes. We just switched over to Dolphins Talk, but um, definitely gave me something to do during the COVID situation with the lockdown. And uh, actually enjoy it. And, and um, I don't tweet a lot, but if people ask me questions on Twitter, I normally try to reply back with some or at least like. So I like interacting with people on Twitter, but I don't have nothing to say every day. But I'll go in and read people's stuff. If it's something good, I'll retweet it or whatever like that. So, yeah, that's that's what I got going. Awesome. Well, I'm, I, I'm posting a live live feed comment. What an awesome interview. Please tell him fans appreciate it from Michael Jowden. And just want to echo that, Richmond. I appreciate it. I know I bugged you a little bit to, to come on the program. I, I didn't mean to hound you, but I appreciate you coming on. This has been awesome. We would love to have you back on again in the near future if, you would, if you're willing and able. But um, I've been a longtime fan of yours both as a Dolphin and a Cincinnati Bengals. So I, I'm appreciative. I know my co-host John is appreciative of, of your time. We were hoping for like 15 minutes and you gave us close to 40. I can't even believe it. So uh, I appreciate it a bunch. Thanks for coming on.
Hey, I, I had a good time, and, and y'all brought, brought back some memories with Montgomery in. And <laughs> I need to get back up there and get some of that because, man, I, I, I since, since I didn't have the nightlife, but we got the food, man. We got the food. I don't need no nightlife. I need that ice cream. Exactly. That, that food. Hey, is uh, let me ask you, is Jay Alexander's? Is that still up there? Oh yeah, it's still here. Let's see. That was another one of my spots. I need to come back <laughs> about a good three or four days and just go in a heavy rotation. And, and, and reminisce of some of all spots, but hey, it didn't even seem that long. I would love to come back on your show, and thanks for having me on. And uh, I appreciate it, even though I only played with the Bengals a couple of years. I appreciate you guys showing me love, and, and I had a great time there. So thanks, Anthony, John, and I look forward to doing it again. I appreciate it, Richmond. Thanks. Take care, and hope hope all is well with you and your your family. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. You guys. All right. Take take it easy. Richmond Webb, that was a lot of fun, man. I, I I can't believe some of the generosity that our guests give us, John. It's like, you know, I, I was hoping for 10 or 15 minutes. I feel bad we, we took a lot of time of his, but it was just like a cool chat, little, little cool sit down and talking about all kinds of things with his career. Those are the best interviews, man. I feel like we just have a knack for it. Like, we're like we're good at this, but we're also, I, I, I feel like we just, have, we just have a thing for it. I don't know. It's, it's just great. But yeah. I mean, that, that, that's like, that's the beauty of, I think the Bengals ring of honor because he's in the Dolphins ring of honor. Maybe if I'm a young Dolphins fan, I don't know who Richmond Webb is because I wasn't alive to see him play that much. But now that's there, like now it opens doors for people to know about him and then hear about him talk about Cincinnati on a podcast. It's it's what it's all about. Yeah. Look, I mean, he was a guy, some Bengals fans that are maybe a little bit younger. They're like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of forgot about him playing with the Bengals or whatever. But, uh, you know, I, I think it was it was pretty good timing given the announcement that came out with uh, with the Bengals today in terms of the ring of honor and a player who was in a ring of honor played for the Cincinnati Bengals a little bit and had an excellent career and you know I I was not blowing smoke when I said like I was surprised when he when we connected I'm like oh yeah Hall of Famer Richmond Webb right I just I just I just thought I mean I was sure and then I did some research I'm like oh my gosh how is this guy not in the Hall of Fame it's ridiculous uh, but I, t- I remember, you know, I told him before you, you came on, John, I, you know, I remember him and Marino. I was a fan of their little little tandem there. And then, you know, Drew Bledsoe and Ben Coates. You know, if you remember those names, I was I was fans of those guys. Of course, kept my loyalty with the Bengals. But, um, you know, I, I, w- I was a longtime fan of Richmond Webb. So this was a lot of fun for me personally. And, and hopefully he had a good time. It was, it was a good interview. But um, let's let's talk some Ring of Honor. You talked about it a little bit, man. Big announcement today. Yeah, and, and before we get there, just want to get a quick word from our sponsor, uh, Symbol. If you guys haven't heard, we are now sponsored by Symbol. And if you guys don't know about it, Symbol is the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks. Guys, it's that easy. You all know which teams are good and bad, and Symbol gives you a way to earn money off of that knowledge without the high fees and high losses of gambling. You can use your sports knowledge to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Join the 2,000-plus early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite teams by, by visiting www.symbol.app. That's www.simbull.app. Or you can visit the link in our description, symbol.app backslash OBI to create a free account. When you And when you deposit, make sure you use the code OBI for a $10 deposit bonus. You can use that to invest in the Sim Bengals right now. Like Whether you're on Team Chase or Team Sewell, Whatever the case may be, they're going to draft one of those two players after the draft. That stock price for, for the Sim Bengals is going to go up. So make sure to invest before that happens. That's www.symbol.app backslash OBI for your $10 deposit bonus. 
Yeah, promo code OBI because you're listening to OBI. So good stuff, John. Yes. And thank you to Symbol for sponsoring the program, sponsoring that special interview with Richmond Web. That was a ton of fun. And uh, we're getting we're getting some feedback that a lot of our listeners are starting to go and invest in Symbol, which is pretty cool. So uh, go go help them out and help us out and all of that. We appreciate it. So Ring of Honor, John. Uh, a big, big announcement for the Cincinnati Bengals. I, I don't know. It's kind of like one of those things where you're like waiting for it, waiting for it to come, waiting for it to come. But it's still unexpected when it comes because it's just kind of like, oh, here it is, right? Uh, right. But, but big, big news for the Bengals. Your thoughts on just kind of everything that's coming with it, what they announced with Munoz, Paul Brown being the first two, fan, letting fans vote on the other two in the inaugural class. So like you said, like we knew it was going to come after – seen it leak in February and they were all being coy. Like, yeah, do we leak it or not? Regardless, you know, we were pleasant, pleasantly surprised to see the fan engagement and feedback from it. And that's, that's really what it's all about. It's not only just for the players, but it's also for the fans, you know, when like 30 other franchises have this one thing, it's, it's a commonality. It's like the standard for an NFL team. And even though the Bengals weren't very successful in their past, aside from a couple Super Bowl teams, like that should still be, the expectation and after 54 years or however many years that the Bengals have been alive like it's it's finally here and it's it's well overdue but it's better late than never so you know it, kudos to them for finally doing it for finally figuring out a path of how to do it and honestly Anthony I, I kind of agree with how they're going to do it where they just have automatic bids for Anthony Munoz and Paul Brown having two more open spots just for this year and to kind of keep it limited but also that I do think helps the engagement and the continuity and having this thing go for as long as it should, because eventually the Bengals are going to have, you know, does like at least a dozen or two dozen players and coaches and whoever in this thing, you know, in the years to come when the, when the Bengals are hopefully still playing Cincinnati. And I think the, the way to, to do that, the right way to keep people interested and engaged throughout the, the years that this thing is going to be a thing is to keep that thing kind of limited. But if I have one complaint, just one complaint, I understand why Munoz and Paul Brown are the automatic bids or the automatic um, nominations, but I do think that Ken Riley should have also been an automatic nomination. And I understand that he's probably going to get voted in regardless, along with another player that we can talk about. But I still think that that, that should have been like the one caveat that they should have had, because I do think that like his, his passing away back in last summer, I think that was something that did spark this actually happening because that fits the timeline of when Elizabeth Blackburn really joined the, the franchise in her role and she's one of the main sparks that really kind of brought this to life. So that's my one complaint with the whole thing. But other than that, I think it's fantastic with the way that they're doing it. And I can't wait to see who gets voted in. Do you think, do you agree with the the four player uh, or four person the, the cap on the inaugural class? Yeah. I, I think again, to like limit it to that, it, it keeps it exclusive, but again, like you don't want to I don't think it's it's great to like it, it just put 10 in there initially just for the sake of keeping up, because then you're going to have to dra- dramatically decrease that in, in future years. And who even knows if this thing is going to be an every year type of thing? I know for other teams, like they kind of wait like every other year or so to just make sure that it's spread out. And that's why like the Hall of Fame itself, they only have like six actual players a year because they don't want to they don't want to make it too big because then, then it kind of loses the meaning, kind of loses what makes it special. So I don't know what they're going to do after this. I would imagine it's going to be like two or three for the next several years and then maybe have it like once every other year. But I do think that keeping it to that size makes it more exclusive like it should be. I 
dig everything about what they've done with this thing. I know it's long overdue. I know we we've been critical of this team. I know we've been critical of a lot of different things that they've done, have not done. I, I think this is a uh, just a great move by the team and the way that they're ushering it in. I agree with you. I I mean, part of me is like, yeah, make it six in the inaugural class. But then, you know, you have the potential of watering things down. And it, you know, I, I mean, there's going to be people that are, I guess, their own players that will be snubbed immediately or something. You know, you, you feel that way. But, I mean, I, I agree with you, a lot of what you said there. And I really like the facet, even though it may become a little bit of a popularity contest, I really like the facet that they're getting the fans involved in the voting process, getting the fans just interacting with the team and with this cool initiative. I I really think that's a really neat thing that they've done. I'm glad that they said, hey, I mean, Paul Brown Munoz, that's they 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 got to be in immediately. So I, I really like just the the overall approach, the the cool videos they've put out. I am a little curious as to why Ocho's in, been in Cincinnati the past couple of days and hanging out at the facilities. I don't know if this has to do with that, with the jerseys, something else. He just goes up there. I don't know, but look, I, I'm really excited about it. And like I said with Richmond Webb on on the show just a little bit ago, I think this is a cool kind of platform or cool way that the Bengals can really, again, emphasize their great players and get some of these guys who are deserving into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. A guy like Richmond Webb deserves it. Ken Riley deserves it. Ken Anderson deserves it. And many Willie Anderson deserves it. You can make arguments for Corey Dillon, Chad Johnson, et cetera. I mean, these are the guys that need to be nationally recognized as for their greatness in the game. And I, I hope that this is a really good stepping stone for that to occur. Something that I thought was interesting when Elizabeth was talking about it in the press conference was that like Mike Brown, he, he didn't like the fact that he was perceived as a guy who didn't appreciate and value his former players. And I never thought that that was necessarily true. Like I, I thought there was more to him than what was being put out there by, by other people. But at the same time, I feel like that it's still not good enough to say that just having their name on, on the East facade of the building is like just not enough. Like that was, that was the whole reason why they haven't done this in the first place is because they felt like just having the names just appear on the stadium. It wasn't enough to honor those former players, but at the same time, it's better than nothing. It's better than those metallic banners that they've had just rotting away. I believe the West corridor of Paul Brown stadium. Like, there, there's a reason why like your former players are not known on a national basis and why they're b- consistently being snubbed by the Hall of Fame is because you won't even make the effort to honor them yourselves. So I, I do have a slight issue with that whole line of thinking. And I, I understand it to a certain degree. Like Mike has been on record for saying that football is the ultimate team game. He doesn't want to single players out. But at the same time, you can't also you know have these complaints about why are your former players not honored nationally if you don't even make the slightest effort to do it yourself? So I am glad that they're finally reaching over that hurdle and making an effort to at least do something. And I, I think they're really emphasizing the whole digital aspect of this now that they've kind of completely revamped their website and can you know promote this stuff from a digital standpoint and have people have easy access to it where they don't have to be in the stadium to see it, read about it, recognize it. It's it's only a plus and it's, it's overdue, but I'm glad it is actually happening. Yeah, as, as kind of a, a football geek or someone who has kept their eyes on, you know, has, has a decent pulse on, on many other teams and know about their history, know about some of their star players, 
you know, it's always kind of a cool thing every once in a while. Like if you go to a game, if you're watching the Bengals, you go to a visiting stadium and maybe you check out if they have a wing for the, for some of their great players or they have something in the stadium that that talks about the history of the team and some of their great players and it, it promotes them. You know, I, I hope that – I don't know exactly what this is going to look like in terms of a ring of honor. I don't know if there's going to be a wing inside of Paul Brown Stadium where it's like a mini museum or some kind of thing like that. I don't know how they're going to – or if it's just going to be a, a kind of around – the stadium type of thing. Uh, maybe it's both, but it would be nice if, you know, I mean, sometimes going to a football game is a destination for folks, whether they're rooting for the visiting team or the home team, it's a destination. And if you can kind of create this dynamic where you come to the stadium and you have this kind of shrine to the, some of these players and fans that are not Bengals fans or fans that are Bengals fans can come check it out, learn about these players, check it out. Maybe these guys make appearances and you just kind of make this cool thing that, uh, that creates this synergy in, in, in Paul Brown stadium. And I, I don't know, again, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but I, I kind of have this mind's eye thing where, you know, maybe they create this little interactive thing where people can walk through and check it, check out, different stuff about these players. I, I, I hope that's where it heads, but um, you know, I, I just, I kind of had that thought today is kind of like, Hey, if you travel to a game or you're a Bengals fan, you can come and check that out at any point and learn about the team. I mean, whatever they do, it, it's going to be tough to match what the Reds have, which is an actual hall of fame type building that you can pay like 10 bucks to visit. So that the, the standards are high, man, like, like great American ballpark is right on the other side of the banks. And it's this great and engaging place. And, it's, it's still a little bit ahead of Paul Prince Stadium in those regards. So I don't know. Like you said, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't think they have any of those plans, at least for this year, that would require some actual actual renovations and expansion in the stadium. But, again, something's better than nothing. Let's just kind of while we're talking about news, and then maybe we're going to try and get to one more quick segment here at, at the end. Gio Bernard is not with the Cincinnati Bengals anymore, John. Um, I, I guess – I, I didn't really expect it because I didn't see the Bengals rushing out to make more free agency signings to try and, and they, the need to create more cap room. I know they've got the rookie pool. I know that stuff. I also know some of the beat writers have said, hey, there's a little bit of writing on the wall here that, you know, this has been floating out there. There was some trade rumors last year, some trade rumors again this year. And lo and behold, they just kind of release them and there's no subsequent signings. Now, maybe there will be closer to training camp. I don't know. But are you surprised? about this at all and the timing of it. Um, what do you make of this whole thing? I'm not surprised because like you said, there was definite writing on the wall and it was not only that, just that report from Tom Pelissero that said that the Bengals were receiving calls about Bernard, but it was also from Paul Dana Jr. at the Athletics saying that like early day three is a, is a place in the draft where the Bengals are probably going to target a running back because odds are Giovanni Bernard's not going to be on the team, whether that's a trade or a straight up release because apparently what happened was that right around that Pelissero report came out, the Bengals had asked Gio to take a pay cut and they were giving him time to consider it. And as soon as he, he declined the pay cut, he requested his release because obviously no team was going to trade for a soon to be 30 year old running back with one year left on this contract. Didn't make any sense at all for, from that perspective. So now Gio has a chance to pick his new team, but the Bengals were also operating under the assumption that, you know, whether Giovanni Bernard's on this team or not, he's not going to be, at that cap figure. So they were just going through their offseason plan under working under the assumption that, you know, that $4 million is not going to be on the books. It's going to be something lower or it's not going to exist at all. 
So people were upset about this saying like, he's just a sunk cost at this point, right? Like why get rid of him if free agency is done, if you still have this cap space, I think it's still because like their cap is just different than the cap that you see on over the cap, if you will. Like they're just working under what budget that they have. And they made all these moves under the assumption that Gio is not going to be here playing in that number or here at all. So from, I mean, yeah, I think like from an outsider, from an outsider's perspective, you would have liked to see a move complement this because at, at this point you're just getting worse because you're, get, you're getting rid of, a, rid of a good player when you still have cap space. But we know that that cap space is going to eventually be used. It just may not be used as efficiently and as effectively as, as we would do it. Yeah, and I think you said some things on Twitter as well about, uh, you know, this could go to contract extensions for Bates and Hubbard and, and guys like that. I guess where my mind goes is what does this do for the draft? Because, you know, we're seeing a lot of comments about Gio was a, a very good player, and you mentioned as well in the pass protection game. Um, you know, he's he's a valuable member of the locker room, all that kind of stuff. Does this point to a running back maybe sometime on day three to kind of supplement that group? They, you know, they had Rodney Anderson. That never worked out. You, you now don't have Gio with you anymore. You re-sign Pirine. You know, what do you – you have Travion Williams in the background as well. I mean, what do, what do you do? Does that open things up in day three for them to pick a another player and or do they just – are they saying, hey, we're remedying this past – protection loss that geo gives us by maybe just hey we're going to fix the offensive line and we're going to fix it early and often i think they're also counting on like joe mixon to kind of fill into that role as well like he has slowly improved as a pass protector but like like you alluded to like that was geo's like primary value at this point and i think it ultimately just like not not to veer off topic a little bit but like geo is the exact running back that you want to give a second contract to because He's, he's right in the sweet spot from a salary perspective, and his value fits exactly what you want from your running backs now, who's not only effective as a runner, but effective as a receiver and effective as a blocker. So that is a hole. And I don't know if you can fill that with a rookie that you draft on, on day three, but also that's the name of the game now. Like you expect more for, from your running backs, regardless of how you get them. Like you don't need to draft a guy 37th overall like you did with Bernard nine years ago. You have Mixon and you have P. Ryan, who I think are better compliments than people kind of give them credit for because I, I want to credit Joe Goodberry with this because last year he was making the case that in this Joe Burrow offense, Joe Mixon is Clyde Edwards Hilaire where he's a electric pass catching back. who's very elusive. He's big, but he doesn't like play big. Sometimes he's more of, of a, of an elusive guy rather than running you over. And he, he can fill that role. And then you have P Ryan kind of compliment him and spell him as more of the bruiser back because that's more of his style. He's the similar size but he plays differently. And mm-hmm. I think now you're, you're seeing, you're, or you will see an offense that actually does kind of rem, that reminisce more of what LSU did with their running backs. And it almost makes the rotation a little bit more effective because ultimately with Gio and, and Joe, you would have thought that they would have been able to mix them better than what they did. And that never really happened. Gio was always criminally underutilized because his production never really matched his talent because they had to, they had to feel justified giving Mixon all those touches for how much they were paying him and their investment in him. So now that Gio's out of the picture, I think you'll see a more effective rotation and splitting the roles between those two backs. And if a day three running back comes in as depth and to just kind of you know give both those guys rest, that's fine. But I, I guess that's the plan. It's going to be more more of a cost-effective one now too. Yeah. Well, I, the thing with Mixon, he's just got to stay healthy. I mean, there's been a couple – he was largely – 
unhealthy last year. And, you know, there's been a couple of seasons where he's missed games here and there, but, you know, you would think that with improved health, Frank Pollock coming back, Joe Mixon had some of his most productive games in a Frank Pollock led type of offense. So you got to hope that that's going to continue this year. And then the Bengals maybe supplement their offensive line with more talent. And that's, that's going to, you know, that's going to remedy a lot of the offensive issues, but, you know, Gio will be missed. I mean, he's a, he's a good player, good, great guy in the locker room. He's he's kind of been a company man all along, regardless of you know defending Zach Taylor and all this kind of stuff. And um, now he's he's out there looking to land somewhere else, and hopefully that occurs soon. Apparently, he did ask for the release after you know the Bengals asked him to take a pay cut. That's the report out there. So. I don't, I don't know exactly how, how well that ended for both parties there in terms of emotionally speaking, but that's the report out there, and that's some of the recent happenings. We're going to do a quick, quick state your case, and then we're going to drop the mic and get out of here. So let's get to it. So we put out a tweet on our Twitter account at Bengals OBI. Go follow us if you can, if you are not for some reason. We put out a tweet just kind of saying, hey, who are some of the under the radar type of names, you know, that could be involved in the ring of honor, could be inducted into the Bengals ring of honor now that that is a tangible thing that's occurring. You know, you've got obviously your big names that have the multiple Pro Bowls to their name, the great offensive linemen, and you can go each by by all kinds of generations and all of that. I kind of wanted to go there and that there are a lot of different avenues to kind of take here, John. I mean, you can ask one question that kind of popped in my mind was what, what happens with Carson Palmer? Is he a guy that goes, goes there? I, I don't know. Um, and does that mend the fences with, with Carson Palmer and the Cincinnati Bengals? If so, I don't know. But the one guy that I think that is kind of getting overlooked and we're, we're obviously focusing on players, Paul Brown, founder, owner, and coach. I'm sure at some point, Sam Weish will probably be in, inducted into that at some point as well. I mentioned him earlier in the interview with Richmond Webb. I think Marvin Lewis is a guy that is not getting talked about a lot as a ring of honor candidate and what he did to bring the Bengals back to relevancy. No playoff wins. I get it, but he is the all-time leader in wins as the Bengals head coach. I think he's kind of deserving of a spot. I don't know what you think about that, but I guess I just think uh, I think to what this team was before him, and I know what it was at the end of his tenure, and he had his flaws, but I just see what he what he how he was able to drag this team forward in those early years, and I can't help but be grateful. Like initially, I think it's a hot take, but it's not. It's only because I didn't even think of that but it makes so much sense. Like first and foremost, if he has one playoff win, he's a, he's a first ballot right. ring of honor. Like, <laughs> because, because we're having this conversation because he did so much yet. People still remember the things that he didn't do. And it's unfair because while that still exists, it, it removes the context from the equation. Like we talked about Marvin this off season when it was rumored that he was getting, you know, looks and opportunities for other head coaching vacancies. And we we're like, if he goes to a place that gives him the tools to to build a competent roster immediately, we're we're excited to see what he can do with a new team with a new opportunity because he had to do so much from with a franchise that was used to not doing anything. And then they get rid of him and they have Zach Taylor and they spend all this money in, in outside free agency and completely change their approach. And you're thinking, 
what would have happened if Marvin Lewis had that opportunity. But you're right. Like what he did to get them out. I always think of Lewis like this. The Bengals in the 90s were at point A. He brought them to point B and they fired him because they want to get to point C, which is what they hope Zach Taylor to see for championship, if you will. And going from point A to point B, that still means something. Does it mean first ballot, first couple years ring of honor? Probably not. But eventually, I think within the next 10 years, I think you're right. I think he's going to get in. I'd, I'd like to see it just because of what, I mean, I know there were so many heartbreaking moments. I know there were so many frustrating moments. I know there was friction between he and some, some of the media members at times, just because of his terse answers and all of that. But I, I just, I, again, I just look back. I, I didn't, I, I wanted to ask Richmond Webb a little bit about like the, to corroborate some of the John Kitna stories and all that kind of stuff that he's put out on some other podcasts in terms of the pre Marvin Bengal days. But aside from that, you've heard stuff from Hushman Zada as well in terms of what things were like before Marvin got there. You've heard some things from other prominent NFL players who played under Marvin and they, Ray Lewis, Shannon Sharp, et cetera. And they look at what he was able to do. They, a lot of these players knew what Cincinnati was before and the Bengals were in that time period after Paul Brown died and before Marvin got there. And they see kind of what Marvin was able to do with a lot of organizational limitations. And I just, I just think that needs to be recognized. And the team had some of its best runs in its history under Lewis. We're not getting a lot of support from the comments. And I, and I, I, I don't because, think so. <laughs> no, but like, like I, I understand because, you know, it wasn't too long ago that we were, you know, saying that Lewis has to go, they have to move on to somewhere else. And those wounds are obviously not healed. And, and I get that, but I think it's also just a matter of perspective because so many, so many people at that time said, you know, you guys better still wish that Marvin Lewis is there because once he leaves, the Bengals could go back to the nineties. And I'm like, that's just a, that's just a flawed way of thinking. That's scare, that scare tax. It's, it's, it's not a way of thinking about progress. And sure enough, after Marvin Lewis leaves, the Bengals are picking first and fifth in the draft. And, you know, whether or not that's Zach Taylor's fault, that that, that is what it is. So it, regardless of whether Marvin Lewis needed to be fired, he did make a significant impact. And it wasn't the impact that everyone wanted it to be for as long as he was here, but you have to give him credit. And uh, another thing as well, because there are still still people that think that, you know, the, the the Ring of Honor classes should be larger than four or whatever. Well, if you, if you expand to like six or seven, Marvin Lewis is only going to get in quicker with that way, right? Like, because I don't think you can have like five or 10 classes and not put Marvin Lewis in. That's just how impactful that he was here. I, I see mixed opinions. And I guess that's just kind of how a lot of fans view Marvin Lewis's tenure in general. It was just so close, but so far. And I, I understand that sentiment, but I do think, you know, all time wins leader as a head coach and what he was able to achieve those five straight postseason births. I know they didn't net any playoff wins, but from 2011 to 2015, the fact that he changed over the roster probably three different times and had a playoff appearance basically with each rebuild i think it says something i'm not saying first first ballot guy i'm saying he's probably towards the back of the line but i think he's a guy that should be thought about down the line in terms of putting certain people in the Bengals' ring of honor obviously others more deserving first but a guy to think about I think I cut you off, John. Nah, did I? I had nothing to say. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's drop the mic and get out of here. I apologize if I did. Uh, what do you got for us before we bounce out? I apologize to our listeners. If I sound weird, it's it's because I am sick. I oh, gosh. COVID. No, but that is why I'm not sounding my best. But 
like I wasn't even sure. Like I didn't even tell Anthony this. I wasn't even sure if I was going to be able to go on just because I had this raging headache. And but I took the advice of Alfred Pennyworth from the Batman the animated series. The best, the best cure for a cold: chicken noodle soup. I feel much better now. My voice is still not 100% back, but appreciate you all listening for a long show, a long interview, but a great interview with Richmond Webb, and I turn it over to Anthony. Yeah, John, I had no idea, so uh, I hope you rest up and feel better. I, I'm sorry that you're not feeling well, but I appreciate you uh, digging deep and and coming on and and doing great work as usual for us. I appreciate it, my man, and I appreciate Richmond Webb coming on the program as well. He was a, a great interview. Hopefully we can have him on again soon. Really the only other thing aside from thanking Richmond Webb, I want to just share this real quick. One of our buddies, the Orange Arrow, he is. He asked for a little help in terms of some promo. Uh, starting after the draft, I'm going to start collecting the names of all the Bengals fans who are wanting to join the Bengals Cares Charity Fantasy Football League. So go follow him at the Bengal 4 and let him know if you are interested. Last year, I participated. I think some of the Locked On Bengals guys participated. You donated, John. It was a, a very cool, fun league, and it was uh, we we. I think the money went to uh, Joe Burrow's. It was the Hunger Fund that mm-hmm. he that he has in Ohio. So that was a cool thing, and I'm sure this will be a really cool venture as well. I, I'm interested in being involved in it again. So uh, if you are a Bengals fan, you like fantasy football and you want your fantasy football money to go to a good cause, go hit up at the Bengal for the orange arrow and he'll, uh, he'll hook you up with, with some details on the league. Uh, that's going to do it for us. John feel better, my man. I appreciate you, you powering through. Uh, hope, hopefully you have some more of that powerful chicken soup uh, for you. Was that homemade or was that, did you, did you order that or what? Yeah. My good buddy Campbell's made it, you know, it was nice. <laughs> Well, they make a good they make a good chicken noodle. Well, get better, my friend. We'll see you all next week. And we have Mike Daniels joining us next Wednesday. So we've got back-to-back special guests on our deep dive show. Appreciate it. Have a good rest of your week.